Living in community, it's just hard. Uh, all you have to do is ask teenagers who live under the same roof. We recently went through what I like to think of as soda gate in our house. It all started when one teen had a friend over and they drank all of the other teen's soda, which was supposed to last the rest of the week. This was a clear violation of community rules. And when there is a transgression like this, there is often retribution, such as eating the other person's restaurant leftovers without permission, which only escalated SodaGate. Now, I think there are two lessons to be learned here, at least. The first is that one would hope for some grace when it's your friend who is over and you want to offer them soda, even if you are out of your own. And second, it really is exhausting to keep score of everyone's transgressions. Now, if only our missteps in community were limited to things like soda and leftovers, if we kept it to small things, the Bible could have been a whole lot shorter. Almost all of it, you see, is devoted to how to be in community with each other and with God. Lessons we seem to need to hear over and over again. The truth is that we hurt one another all the time, in small ways and large. On the large side, for example, scanning the news this week, I think of the fraud of creating fake alien mummies in front of a governmental body for profit. That comes to mind. But so do the more common hurts, the betrayals that we receive and inflict on one another. Jesus is clear that forgiveness is the answer. But when the betrayal is big enough, we want to hold on to our hurt and put forgiveness off into the future. I'm reminded of St. Augustine's prayer, Lord, give me chastity, but not yet. (laughs) Forgiving a big transgression can feel a lot like that. So it's no wonder that Jesus had to teach about forgiveness from several different angles. It's one of the most needed but complicated aspects of community life. What we just heard from Matthew's Gospel is Jesus' third attempt in a row to get his message across because forgiveness is just that difficult. To set the stage, Jesus has told his disciples about a shepherd who left the 99 sheep and went after the one lost sheep to illustrate God's unconditional forgiveness. The disciples reply that Jesus can't mean this as practical advice, right? So Jesus tries a different angle. Okay, forget forget that first story about the one lost sheep. Let's say the shepherd gives the lost sheep three chances to get found, and then he gives up on it. Three strikes, and the sheep is out. That can't be right either, said Peter. He kind of figured that one out. Jesus was being a little cheeky. Which leads us to Peter's frankly honest question this morning, Lord, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times. I'm quite sure he thinks that this is an extravagant amount. To which Jesus replies, how about 70 times seven? In other words, keep going, you are not even close. Now, on the surface, 
the lesson seems to be that we are supposed to forgive people many more times than we can count or that we think they deserve, which is fine, I suppose. But like the disciples, I think we are in danger of missing the larger point of the lesson. If we think that forgiveness is only about taking the high road or a kind of higher standard for people of faith, forgiveness is like a task we just check off our Christian to-do list or an opportunity to congratulate ourselves for good behavior, which doesn't sound very much like Jesus. I think there must be more to it, a bigger picture. Enter the parable of the unforgiving servant. A servant owes the king an unbelievably large amount of money, say a billion dollars. The Greek is pretty close to that, actually. Now, there is no way that he will ever be able to repay it. And also, you kind of wonder how someone in the ancient Near East could have spent a billion dollars. But anyway, that's that's a tangent. So anyway, this servant who owes so much money, he pleads for mercy. And the king says, okay. The servant then turns around and harasses a fellow servant who owes him the equivalent of about a hundred bucks. This enrages the king. You wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And Jesus continues, And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. It's an ominous ending for a story that started out like a parable of grace, much like the good shepherd going going after the lost sheep. It's clear, I think, that we are supposed to learn the unconditionality of God's grace through the example of that merciful king. But this story is also about the hard time that we have accepting the terms of grace or the forgiveness of others who have done us wrong. When the unforgiving servant rejects a system that runs on grace, he acts just like some famous characters in other parables that Jesus liked to tell. He's exactly like the older brother of the prodigal son, for example. He's the one who grumbled miserably about their father's mercy and ended up missing the party. The unforgiving servant is like the guy who was invited right off the street to attend a wedding banquet but refused to put on a wedding robe to celebrate. He spent his time outside the celebration miserable. Judgment comes to those who refuse to accept the terms of grace, and it's of our own making. In the words of Robert Capon, when we insist on keeping score, as is our nature most of the time, Our ledger of the wrongs done by and to us becomes forever the pointless torture it has always been. The gospel has invited us, has given us forgiveness to meditate on this morning and its place in our spiritual lives. Maybe you struggle with a brother who has stolen your soda. Or maybe you have a hard time seeing how God's grace extends to the likes of alien fakery guys. 
Or maybe you've been badly betrayed, or you've been the one doing the betraying. Forgiveness might feel impossible, at least right now. We've all been there, by virtue of being humans in community. The best option is to trust Jesus at his word that forgiveness extends to all of us, even when we wander far from what God desires of us. And we can take Jesus at his word that grace and mercy are essential to how God operates. That's the bigger lesson here. The only exception to grace seems to come when we reject a system that keeps bringing people back into the fold. If this were an easy teaching, Jesus could have said it once and been done with it. Instead, he told story after story to help us heal from the pain of our scorekeeping. One last word. If you happen to struggle with forgiveness right now, know that you are not alone and that God's grace is with you. But try not to sit outside God's banquet too long. God wants to welcome you back in. Amen.